You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name's Rick Francis. I'm the pastor here. Love this place. It's good to be with you. I feel like any time that we're going to have a dinner after church, that gives me license to preach as long as I want. Because I know nobody's going to have the roast burning at home, so we don't have to worry about that. But let's start. We're coming, we're coming off of Jesus having been transfigured uh, with Peter, James, and John. There's Elijah, and there's Moses, and Jesus, and he's transfigured. It's wonderful, a mountaintop experience. And then as they're coming down, the, the question about John the Baptist comes up. I mean, Elijah, and Jesus lets us know that uh, John the Baptist is the forerunner. He's, he's Elijah, and uh, he's functioning in that eschatological role on planet Earth. And so we, we, we take all that in, and as he's coming from just like the, the mountaintop of heaven, as he comes down, it's like he's coming into the valley of unbelief, and we're where the evil one is alive and well and doing all sorts of harm to God's children. So we pick up our reading at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about with them? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit who has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire and water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, He rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, His disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind 
can come only by prayer. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Open our hearts to receive the truth of the gospel. Let it reside in us. May it be more than something that we just understand with our head. We pray for the revelation to penetrate into our heart and our soul that we would forever be changed by your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> There's an interesting repetition of the word Saul here. You'll see it multiple times. As Jesus is coming down from the mountain, the crowd saw Jesus, and they came running to him. They were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet Jesus. Now, <clears throat> I think Jesus is worth running to. If you see Jesus, run. Not away, but toward him. Run toward Jesus, because he is worthy to be ran to. I wonder what was happening. I wonder if there was some residual glory that was still resting upon him from the transfiguration. Or whether it was just the fact that when Jesus came that there was a presence of authority. There was a presence of, of the Lord. And the people ran to him and they were filled with wonder. <clears throat> when Jesus comes down, <clears throat> we find that... <clears throat> Excuse me, let me get a drink here. <coughs> I remembered to hit the mute button. <laughs> Spare you guys all a loud cough. Mm -hmm. So he asked the question. He notices that there's, that there's a, a controversy that's, that's stirring. And he says, what are you guys arguing about? What's going on? Hmm. And the man who has the son speaks up and he says, I brought my son to your disciples to be delivered from this demon. And they were unable to cast it out. He says, here's, here's what this demon does to my son. It robbed him of his speech. It seizes him. Here, the NIV translates, my son is possessed of a spirit. Here, the word demonized isn't even used. Oftentimes, when, when we're speaking to a non-Jewish group, as, as Mark is, he's just talking about a spirit so that they'll understand and relate. What he says is he has a spirit. He has a spirit. And this is what this spirit does. Now, if anybody has a spirit like this, I highly recommend that you get rid of it. You don't want it. It's not going to treat you well. And so here he is, and th this is what the spirit does. It robbed him of speech, it seizes him, which means it will just manifest and come upon him at the craziest times. You know, I, you don't have, when you have that part of you open 
to a demon, that demon can then come and manifest when you least expect it. You're going shopping, you think all's fine, and all of a sudden now you are just getting seized upon. It throws him to the ground. So this is pretty severe. This isn't a low-level demon. This isn't one of the little imps that just comes and makes fun of you and sticks its tongue out and blah, 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 try to, you know, just torment a little and make fun, all that. No, this, this is a serious demon. This is a high-level spirit that's going on here. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. Hmm. Now, today we're not going to make a medical diagnosis, <laughs> although our nurse is here today. <clears throat> the point is, the man is suffering. Label it whatever you want. The man is being tormented and he's suffering. And Jesus is moved by his suffering. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. And thus ensues an argument. No doubt the teachers of the law are there. They're always looking for an opportunity to create controversy with Jesus. If you're keeping up with the chosen, you'll see that it's getting more and more intense. And uh, Jesus is... Uh, one of the things that I really like about the chosen, it helps you understand why Jesus is trying to keep these miraculous things a little on the quiet side, because it's really restricting his ability to move about the country. And it's also bringing a lot of jealousy among the religious leaders. <clears throat> so then we get to the, the second scene, the spirit saw Jesus. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. Wow. This young man was experiencing something that he had no control over. And when he was seized by this, it would do things to him that he could not prevent. He fell to the ground and rolled and was foaming at the mouth. Mm. So here's Jesus. He just gave a lament. He comes down from the mountain. Instead of the, the disciples casting this demon out, there's this huge controversy. And Jesus is a little bit on the exasperated side. And he says, how long am I to be with this faithless generation? It, it's a lament of, I don't have a whole lot of time. There's an urgency. He knows that the cross is coming, and he's got his disciples who still don't understand the relationship between prayer and faith and the authority that has already been delegated to them. And he's a little exasperated because the people all around are manifesting a, a lack of faith. So Jesus, in all the different demonic encounters and deliverances that we have, even in the Gospel of Mark, but also in the other Gospels, here Jesus, you know, with Legion, you know, with the, the Gadarene demoniac, he, he addresses the demon that's inside the strong man. Here, 
this demon manifests this incredible, spectacular, ugly, horrific scene, and the boy is lying on the ground, rolling around, frothing at the mouth, and Jesus doesn't talk to the demon. He talks to the dad. Interesting. Uh, for all of us that think that it's a technique, you, you better look closely at how Jesus casts out demons. There's a lot that we can learn, and there's a lot of things that will overlap and will we'll go from one deliverance to the next. But here, <clears throat> Jesus doesn't even address this demon. Disciples couldn't drive it out. Remember, they've just been on a mission trip, and they came back, and they were all excited because they had authority over demons. And every deliverance that they did was successful. And the healings that came, they were, they were just excited at the power and the authority that Jesus had given to them. <clears throat> and now with Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, the other nine can't continue the deliverance ministry that Jesus has, has sent them on. So here's Jesus. He speaks to the Father, not to the demon. He says, how long has he been like this? The answer is from childhood. So this is something that this little guy has known his whole life. He goes on to say, it has often thrown him into the fire and the water. Why? To kill him. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the enemy wants to do with your life. He wants to destroy and kill you. And so the father just had nine disciples, 0 for 9, nobody got the demon out. The father says, if you can do anything, take pity on us. Take pity on us. Mm. If you can do anything. Here's a, f a father whose son is manifesting this horrific scene. The disciples were unable to cast it out. Now, if they could have cast it out earlier, maybe the scene wouldn't have happened. But now the full representation of what this father has been living with the whole lifetime of this son of his is taking place. <clears throat> And his faith isn't really very high. He, he's, he's thinking that Jesus would probably like to do something, kind of if he could, not sure he can, but he knows Jesus wants to. Jesus is, you know, he's heard enough reports. He thinks he's a good guy. And, and he's, he, he's, his hope is guarded. He doesn't want to put it all out there for fear of being disappointed. So he says, if you can do anything, you know, have mercy on us. Show pity, some compassion toward us. <laughs> now this must have struck a nerve with Jesus. <clears throat> Not sure exactly how to interpret the, the, the words on the page, but it's like, uh if you can, if you can, you're talking to me and you're saying, if I can, and it's like, 
Do you know who I am? No, I don't think Jesus has that attitude at all. But that'd probably be mine <laughs> right there. Do you know who you're dealing with here? And, and, but Jesus, he, he's moved by the appearance and the desire, but the extreme lack of faith. It's just like, oh. And he makes this statement. <clears throat> Everything is possible for him who believes. Hmm. Who's the him? What's the antecedent of the him? Is it everything's possible, Dad, if you believe, if you have faith, everything's possible and we'll be able to deal with this if you have faith? Or is it about the miracle worker? Everyone who's ministering, if they have faith, nothing's impossible. Everything's possible. It's like, oh, let's just come down on both. Let's play it safe. Let's say it's best if both have faith. We, we find here this father is so guarded in his hope, and yet we see so many miraculous healings and deliverances that have come. The leper comes with boldness, and he says, if you're willing, I know you can make me well. Leprosy wasn't easily cured. Naaman's about the only one that we have recorded that got out of leprosy. Here, once again, it's like, oh. The woman with the issue of blood that we just saw chapter before, she's coming and she knows if she can just touch the tassel on the fringe of his garment, she'll be, she'll be healed. She'll be healed. The faith of the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter is demonized at home, and she says, but even the children, even the dogs under the table get the crumbs that fall off the table of the children. And Jesus is amazed at her faith. And so here Jesus is saying, everything is possible to, to the one that believes. If you have faith, everything is possible. <clears throat> what he's really saying there is that those who have faith are those who will not limit God. They, they will look at the situation that they, that they have standing before them and they'll look at it and uh, instead of allowing the enemy to take the, the distress and the ugliness and the horror of the situation and try to diminish faith, he says, if you have faith in the midst of the worst circumstances, you can stand and everything's possible. Everything's possible. We're going to go after that today. We're going to go after the things that we prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and we haven't seen an answer to yet. And in the midst of that, circumstance, our faith is just shriveling. And it's like, I don't know if he can do that. Well, I know he can with my head, but in my heart where, where faith really gets activated, I don't know if he will. Now, he, he, he might for Dan, but I don't know if he'll do it for me. 
Oh, I, I've got good theology. I just don't have enough experience of seeing him do it that the argument of silence comes against me and the enemy uses it to quench my faith, my little bitty mustard seed faith. Oh, that's right. It doesn't take us to be giants of faith. We just have to have a little faith and put our dependency in him, not in ourselves. Okay. So there's Jesus. <clears throat> Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Is that on your refrigerator? I, I think many of us, you know, it, it's on the refrigerator of our heart. You know, it's, it might not be in the, in the kitchen, but in our heart it's like, Lord, I believe, I want to believe, I, I want to believe more. It's the, the lion in the Wizard of Oz who says, I believe, I believe, I believe. You know, and we, we, we're trying to, and, and we, we don't realize it's not something that we work up. Our belief comes out of our intimacy with him, which we're going to see here in a minute. And so it's, it's not something that we got to know a special phraseology, a mantra, you know, of, of I believe, I believe, I believe. It's not even the, the declarations that we make on Sunday. We, those, those can just be idle words that we parrot. Polly wants a cracker. But it's, it's the, the reality that it's out of that relationship and in our heart that that begins to connect. And from there, faith is birthed. We see, we see. Seeing is believing, ha <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I think seeing stuff really helps our faith. Anybody like to see a few more miracles around you? Mm -hmm. Amen. Like to see the power of the Lord? Get ready, get ready, it's coming. This next wave of revival that the Lord is releasing is going to be a miracle revival. There's gonna be healings like crazy. There's gonna be, and it's gonna be, it's gonna be the manifestation of his kingdom, his rule that, that covers the land, that gives him glory. But right now, the, the, it seems like one of the key ingredients and the elements of this next move of God already started down at Asbury, and it's, it's, it's going in other parts of the country. It's moving, and we are on the precipice of a great, great awakening. Yeah, I don't know if it's an awakening. I think it's beyond an awakening. I, I, I think that there is something of God's presence that's gonna manifest, and it's gonna be as natural as anything to see people healed, healed instantly, healed gradually, but the key word is healed, brought to wholeness. So here, Jesus, help my unbelief, yeah. So now Jesus engages in this third scene with the Spirit. And what motivated Jesus to deal with the Spirit? He saw the crowd was coming. It's like, you know, Jesus isn't cheeky. He, he's not playing to the crowd. Matter of fact, when he sees a crowd, he knows he better deal with this because this is going to be another thing that's just going to, you know, cause them to want to follow and you know, just make it more difficult and it's not time for him yet. And 
And so when he sees the crowd coming, that's when he says to the spirit. And notice what he says. He rebukes the evil spirit, and this is what a rebuke looks like. In case you, you don't know what rebuking is, this is what a rebuke sounds like. I love this. Uh, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. So if you're going to rebuke a demon, this is a pretty good model. It's not a technique, but it's a model, something that you can learn from. You, you, you address the spirit by its functioning. What's it doing? It's causing the man he can't hear and he can't speak. And he commands him to come out. Whenever you encounter a demon, the thing that you don't want is for the demon to stay in residence in the person that you're dealing with. We want it out. And then don't forget the last. And never enter him again. I think in all the demons that I've casted out, I've left off that last phrase. And so you know what happens? I get to cast it out again. I think we need to be really, really shrewd when we're dealing with, with the demonic realm. And when we take authority in Jesus' name over that, we need to make sure we add the clause, never enter him again. I know some like to say, go to the place that Jesus sends you. I like that. That works. That works for me, because I don't think Jesus would ever send him back to that boy again. But I think we need to be mindful that we need to take authority and get it out. What happens when Jesus addresses this demon? The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. Bottom line, it left. It left. But the malicious nature of the kingdom of darkness, it wants to do as much damage to each one of us as it possibly can. So even on the day of deliverance of this little guy, it throws him and it's violently coming out. It tries one more malicious moment of torment for this little boy. And he hits the, he hits the ground. And when he hits the ground, he hits the ground in such a fashion that everybody think he died. He's dead. They're all looking at that and they're, they're just, he looked like a corpse. They said he's dead. You know, he may have died. Could have been that when, when this demon came out, it was, so, it was so excruciating that it was more than his body could stand. So Jesus gets the defibrillators and goes, clear. And for Jesus, the defibrillator is his touch. And he bends over and he takes the lad by the hand and he raises him up. You don't get it in the NIV, but in the actual Greek, it's the word of resurrection. He goes down and he takes the little guy and he takes him by the hand and he stands up and he's alive. If you were writing the gospel, what would be the next paragraph? 
And they started a wave, yay, yay, yay. There would be some sense of celebration, don't you think? Mark leaves it completely out. His focus is not on the miracle. He's already recorded lots of miracles and, and in doing, he always says, and the people were amazed, they were astonished. It was beyond anything. We've never seen anything like this, all of this kind of stuff. Silent, nothing in the Gospel of Mark follows this. Guys raised up. We fast forward, Jesus is inside. Oh, this is intentional. Because when we look at what happens on the mountain with the transfiguration, the argument that he comes across is exasperation with an unbelief of, of the people, including his disciples, <clears throat> engaging a conversation with the Father and dealing with the demon, we come back to the disciples. And when they're in a private place, the disciples are really and we get to see from their perspective, man, we don't understand this. We just drove out demons last week. We had authority over every demon that we encountered. What happened with this one? And much like the theme of this section of scripture, Jesus engaged the Father to talk about faith and believing, and now when he gets to the disciples, he just kind of rotates it a little bit and says, this kind only comes out by prayer. And at whatever level of ministry you've had the honor and the privilege to minister in the authority of Jesus, you will probably come across a thing that is gonna be beyond your ability or beyond what you've ever seen him do. And in that moment, what's gonna be important is the intimate relationship that you have with the Lord. Because when you, when you come across one like the disciples and they can't cast it out and they don't know what to do, what do you do? We argue. Oh, I almost slipped out a name of a denomination that in my heart I've known and associated with, they would rather argue than, than worship. You know, the, it's almost like, my spiritual gift is argumenting. And it's like, no. Don't argue. When you come up against something that's beyond what you think your spiritual strength is, pray. Know where your source is. Get attached and reconnected with the one who is absolute all authority in heaven and on earth. Connect with your source. It's not your ability, it's not your gifts, it's not your anointings. It's not your ability to prophesy and see, it's on your connection with the Lord himself. And out of that you'll see, and out of that sight, the Spirit will lead you how to minister in those situations. So Jesus, in this gospel that Mark has so wonderfully put together, shows us the key is for us to be connected at all times with him. 
And when we have those ebbs and flows and we just feel like we're not in alignment with him and we're a little disjointed and all this, and we come across a situation that seems to be outside our ability to deal with, connect. It's time to connect with him in prayer. Now, I was raised back in the day when dinosaurs roamed the earth and we used the King James Version and it had there, and this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Anybody remember that and fasting? Jesus said that his disciples won't fast as long as the bridegroom is with him. And that's why we don't think it was in the earliest manuscripts that was there, but it was later in the third century is the first time we see it added and fasting. Why? Because there is a, there's definitely a relationship of connecting with the Lord when we fast. When we choose not to eat, but instead to spend time with him, it, it, it builds the connection of the relationship with him. And that's why I believe it was later added, and fasting. Because there is a correlation between prayer and fasting that brings us into a connection with the Lord that gives us more faith. It causes us to see from his perspective. It keeps us from uh, <clears throat> giving full allegiance to the demands of our, our stomach. I know we're having a dinner here today, today. But today we're gonna, fa no. <laughs> <laughs> but don't rule out fasting. Don't rule out fasting. Just a side note, it's, it's not the main emphasis of the text. The main emphasis of the text was that the reason why the disciples weren't able to cast this one out is because instead of connecting with their source, they went to arguing with the scribes and Pharisees. Don't argue. Connect with your source. He will lead you into success, into driving out whatever it is that lies before you. Okay? Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.